Coming up on this week's show, Matt Lubbers Moore from Requeered Tales joins us to talk about the publisher's work to bring back classic works of gay fiction. This is the Big Gay Fiction Podcast, the show for avid readers and passionate fans of gay romance fiction. Each week, we bring you exclusive author interviews, book recommendations, and explore the latest in gay pop culture. Welcome to episode 222 of the Big Gay Fiction Podcast. I'm Will from willknaus.com, and with me, as always, is my co-host and husband, Mr. Jeff Adams. Hello, everybody. This episode of the podcast is brought to you in part by our remarkable community on Patreon. A big thank you to Andrea for increasing her pledge with us. We'll have more information on how you can join her at the end of the show, along with a sneak peek of what we have coming up for you next week. Happy New Year, everybody. Yes, Happy New Year. It is 2020, and if you're at all like us, you are ready to put the dumpster fire that was 2019 behind us. Onwards to 2020. We had a really quiet New Year, and we'll actually talk about what we did on New Year's Eve coming up in our review section, but we also have some publishing announcements to make. I shifted my May-December hockey romance novella, Head in the Game, over to Kindle Unlimited, so if you are in KU, it is sitting there ready for you to read. And also, we are happy to announce that our co-written novel, The Hockey Player's Heart, which I'll just call it what we think it is. It's a super cute second chance romance between a hockey player and the grade school teacher who once tutored him while he was in high school. It is re-releasing on January 15th, which is its second anniversary of its original publication. Happy almost anniversary on that to you, Mr. Co-Writer. Oh, thank you. <laughs> So that is available for pre-order now in ebook, and it will also be in Kindle Unlimited upon its release. So we hope you'll check that out. And speaking of re-releases, it is now time for Romance Revisited, which is our look at some of the gay romances that have recently been re-released. Remember, if you haven't read it yet, then it's new to you. So what have you got for us this week? Well, this week I'd like to start off with Dinner for One by Meg Harding. Bastien's French restaurant is the toast of the town, and when a well-known critic insults it, he's left off kilter. Luckily for him, he's found a distraction. He's just met an attractive writer at his niece's school bake sale. He's into food and into Bastien, and there's chemistry between them that might make the perfect recipe. James isn't expecting to meet a good-looking French chef at a bake sale. It comes as a surprise when the chef turns out to be the owner of a place he knows and has reviewed, and it puts James in a sticky situation, so he might have to omit some pertinent information to make it work, at least for now. And that's Dinner for One by Meg Harding. Next up, I want to talk about The Blueprint by S.E. Harmon. Kelly Cannon's heart decided to break all the rules. Don't fall in love with a straight guy and definitely don't fall in love with your best friend. NFL standout Britain Blue Montgomery has pressure coming at him from all sides, and now his relationship with Kelly is on shaky ground, and that frightens Blue more than anything. When Kelly admits he's in love with Blue, bonds are tested, and Blue has to decide what's really important. He doesn't want to lose the number one person in his life, but the cost to keep Kelly close might be more than he's willing to pay. It's a good thing his nickname is The Blueprint. It's time to draft a new set of plans. 
That was The Blueprint by Essie Harmon, which incidentally is the first book in a series that follows these two heroes. So you might want to check that out if sports romance is your thing. And last but not least, we have All the Way to Shore by C. Jane Elliott. Jonathan Vallon is the heir to Vallon Industries. He clashes with new CEO Marco Pellegrini, a self-made man and rising star in business. When they meet again on an LGBTQ Caribbean cruise, Marco doesn't recognize Jonathan, who has spent a year transforming from an ugly dunkling into a very sexy swan. After Marco shows interest, Jonathan reluctantly assumes a false identity. None of them expect a shipboard fling to deepen into true love. Marco discovers his perfect man is not only a lie, but the son of his boss. Jonathan resolves to win Marco back to get the future that awaits them on the horizon. And that's All the Way to Shore by C.J. Elliott. Awesome. Those all sound really good. And if you'd like to browse this week's complete list of re-release titles, and there are quite a few over there, head on over to the show notes page for episode 222 at BigGayFictionPodcast.com. Hi. I'm Jay from the LGBTQ romance review blog, Joyfully Jay. At Joyfully Jay, we review tons of LGBTQ romance, as well as romantic fiction and nonfiction. We review ebooks, audiobooks, and even the occasional movie. We typically review about 18 books a week, so Joyfully Jay is a great place to hear about new releases, catch up on books you may have missed, and find some new favorites. In addition to our reviews, each weekday we host an author as our first post of the day. This gives readers a chance to learn more about new releases, get exclusive excerpts, find out about the author, and participate in great giveaways. Each author post on Joyfully J is exclusive, so you get access to book and author information you can't find other places. At Joyfully J, we love LGBTQ romance and are excited to share it with you. Stop by the blog at joyfullyj.com. You can also visit us on our Facebook group, The Joyful Jays. We'd love to have you join us. To celebrate the new year, Jeff and I actually binged some Netflix programming, which for introverts probably doesn't come as a complete surprise to our listeners. We finished watching the fourth and final season of Eastsiders. Now, those of you who may not remember, Eastsiders was the little web series that could that got its start way back in 2012. We had the two creators, Kit Williamson and John Hallback, on the show a couple of times, actually. This fourth and final season wraps up the wild and weird adventures of our crazy crew of characters in Los Angeles's Silver Lake neighborhood. As always, in the interest of full disclosure, we fully admit that Eastsiders probably isn't for everybody. We've said this several times in the past, and we reiterate it again, because the characters are kind of horrible. <laughs> There's really no other way to put it. That's one of the reasons I love Eastsiders so much. It's very real. The characters are flawed and weird and insane. They make terribly bad decisions and eventually deal with the consequences of their actions. This fourth and final season, all of our characters are back and it focuses uh, mainly on three couples. There's Cal and Tom, are essentially our two main characters. There's also Jeremy and Derek. They're dealing with a foster parent situation. And the entire rest of the cast has to deal with the upcoming nuptials of Quincy and Douglas. And it's quickly turning into the wedding from hell. Hilarity ensues over the course of the series. Uh, it's really 
weird and wonderful. And I think what was nice about this final season is, is that the characters are still very real and very flawed. And yes, they continue to make really big mistakes. But I think as a sign of their maturity, they're starting to realize that these decisions that they're making have consequences that they have to, you know, <laughs> that they have to deal with like adults. <laughs> yeah. I think everybody in this season really met the adulting head on. There were tinges of it in season three, which focused on the big road trip that Cal and Tom took. But this season, I mean, everybody kind of had to step up and adult. And it really, from the, the wedding from hell that you described quite accurately, finding their way to a wedding that both Quincy and Douglas could actually enjoy. You know, for Cal and Tom, they had to come to terms with that, what their ongoing open relationship essentially meant as they were also looking at starting a life together. And I really liked Ian and Hillary, essentially, <laughs> spoiler alert, they break up in the first episode of the season. And I liked Ian's kind of exploration also of bisexuality uh, and where he was headed as well. It's It was a wonderful wrap-up, I feel, for all of these characters that we've come to love so much. But I will say I would love to see at some point, you know, when, when Kit wants to write it, I think a, a reunion movie that can get Cal and Tom married would be awesome because I think Cal and Tom would do a much, much different wedding from Douglas and Quincy. A quick shout out to two specific actresses who appeared in this series. Uh, as she has through all four seasons, Cal's mom has been played by Tracy Lords, and she comes back in season four and she's pure genius as always. I give credit to this character. She doesn't seem phased at all by some of the insane things that Cal and Tom do. In this particular instance, she offers some very sage and intelligent motherly advice to our two main characters. Also, a quick shout out to Lynn Shea, who plays Quincy's mom. We meet her for the first time in this fourth season, and she also has some some motherly advice to kind of ground her son and his soon-to-be groom in uh, the reality of the life that they're uh, facing together. It's really a wonderful end to a groundbreaking series. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. And, and yeah, I like your shout out to the moms because especially Tracy Lord's mom, I would not have seen that coming from Cal's mom that she would deliver that advice. So it was it was really great to see that. So all four seasons of Eastsiders is available on Netflix. And if you haven't checked out either season four or the entire series, we highly recommend it. And as always, before we get to the interview portion of our show, we'd like to quickly review some books. I would like to talk about the brand new release from the indomitable Chuck Tingle. This past week, he released his newest story called Not Pounded by Romance Wranglers of America because their new leadership is from the depths of the endless cosmic void. And I freely admit this is the very first Chuck Tingle story that I have read in its entirety. And I was charmed by the pure delightful insanity of it all. The story focuses on a nice guy named Gorblin who goes to a writer's group where he meets Amber. They get along swimmingly and she recommends that in order to take Gorblin's 
romance writing career to the next level that he joined the Romance Wranglers of America. So they decide to jet off to the headquarters where things aren't quite as they seem. Or perhaps they are. There are some very dark forces at work at the Romance Wranglers. They are met by Demon, the de facto leader of this group, and he takes them on a tour of the headquarters, which is suitably completely bonkers and insane. Thankfully, our hero and his bestie escape with their sanity and ethics intact. I really enjoyed this story. It's, it's well, I, it's incredibly difficult to describe Chuck Dinkle's style. It's funny. It's insightful. Of course, there's a dinosaur in the story because, you know, why not? There's also a very strange meta quality to the story because Gorblin and Amber know that they are inside a Chuck Dingle story. Like I said, it's charming and strange, and I highly recommend everyone check it out. It was my first Chuck Tingle book, too, and I adored its insanity. I adored its very pointed commentary, and you hit it on the head. I mean, it was just kind of a perfect short story to read that helped put some perspective in the last week. So, yeah, I will highly recommend that title as well. Moving on to the book that I would like to talk about. I recently picked up the first book in Parker St. John's Cabrini Law series. Parker was a new-to-me author, and I'm so glad I have discovered his work. Risk Assessment is an opposite-to-track story with some May-December elements, as well as a light romantic suspense plot. And what better way is there to meet than over a broken-down car in the rain? Elliot's Prius is conked out, and the first guy who shows up is a hipster who really is no help in this situation at all, even if he tries to poke at the engine. But when a motorcycle roars up and a steel-jawed rebel type with dark scruff on his jaw arrives, Elliot mumbles to himself that he's being rescued by an underwear model. Now, luckily, Lucas not only knows about cars, he actually owns the garage where the overheated Prius ends up. Now, at first look, both guys take note of each other. Elliot is very into Lucas's look. After all, he did call him an underwear model. And it reminds him of every guy that he's ever dreamed about. And Lucas is all about Elliot's book smart appearance, but he feels that that means that Elliot is way out of his league. Now, not only is Elliot's appearance of education and money giving Lucas pause, Lucas is sure that his ex-con status would be a turnoff for Elliot as well. Yes, while his life is getting back on track, he actually has recently taken ownership of the garage, has his own apartment that he's had for a couple years, and is just weeks away from finishing parole. He just doesn't see this happening. But he does overlook all these red flags when Elliot shows up to get his car. Lucas reduces the bill down to asking Elliot to take him to dinner. And now Elliot, who's not quite recovered from a horrible breakup with a guy that he worked with at a ritzy law firm, admits to Lucas that he doesn't really think dinner with him is really worth that much, which is a sign on Elliot's issues with his self-worth. Elliot has not only separated from his boyfriend, but he walked away from that firm to go to work in the Cabrini Law Clinic to help people who really needed it. And despite the fact that he's doing the work that he loves, he is still very down on himself with how his life has shifted so drastically. Now, once Lucas finds out what Elliot does, he backpedals immediately. He hates attorneys after having seen so many screwed by the legal system. 
Despite Elliot's earnestness, he backs off of dinner because there's no way he can make anything work with an attorney. Now, Elliot unfortunately doesn't earn any points with Lucas because after Lucas turns him away, Elliot goes far beyond a Google search to find out about this guy and runs a full background check on him and ends up with all the details on Lucas's criminal past. That doesn't deter Elliot, though, because he's seen the person Lucas is today, and that man attracts him. Julio ends up being the person that draws these two together. Julio is one of the people that Elliot's working with at the law clinic, and the young man needs to get a job to show that he can be a good citizen to the court. Julio's a mechanic, so, of course, Elliot goes to see Lucas to see if he can get Julio a job. As they discuss the situation, there's a definite heat between the two of them, and they both feel it. Now, what does Lucas want in return for hiring Julio? He wants Elliot on his knees, and Elliot is more than happy to comply servicing Lucas. Now, despite Lucas's hate for Elliot's profession, Lucas can't help but be wooed by his very own Clark Kent rumpled librarian type, and Elliot is extremely into Lucas's rugged good looks, and it's charm that Lucas even looks his direction. I love how Parker unfolded the relationship between these two. Their cautious talks about their past interspersed with some sizzling sex. It takes a lot for Lucas to overcome his ingrained distaste for all things lawyers, while Elliot has to move past all the stories he's told himself about why Lucas can't possibly be into him. That both men have these very squishy, lovable sinners made me adore them even more, although I sometimes wanted to kick them for being so darned obstinate. Parker bounces these guys around between I love you, I hate you, perfectly. Now, I mentioned a bit of a romantic suspense plot here, and it revolves around Julio, when his past comes storming back into his life. Elliot and Lucas make a great team rescuing the young man from his difficult situation, and my romantic suspense-loving self wildly enjoyed this element of the story. Parker writes great side characters, too, especially Maxim, who's a hotshot attorney on the Cabrini team. It was highly entertaining watching him and Elliot trade barbs at each other while at the same time having each other's backs. Maxim is central to book two in this series, and I'm looking forward to getting more of his story. So I very much recommend Parker St. John's Risk Assessment. Two sexy guys fighting through their baggage to figure out how to love each other was a perfect read for a chilly winter's night. Book two of this series is already out, with book three arriving on January 24th. There's also a Christmas collection that I missed that I may just have to read outside the holiday season. Now, if you're interested in learning more about the books or anything else that we've discussed in this week's episode, all you have to do is go to the show notes page for episode 222 at BigGayFictionPodcast.com. Did you know that podcasts love to get reviews too? Taking a moment to leave a review about the Big Gay Fiction Podcast helps us with the show's visibility online please take a moment to visit iTunes and leave a review. Your comments help other readers of gay romance discover this show. Thanks for helping us spread the word about the Big Gay Fiction Podcast. A few months ago, I spoke with Matt Lovers Moore, who is part of the team behind Requeered Tales, a publishing company that is working to bring back some classic gay fiction, especially in the mystery suspense genres. It was great talking to him about how they do their work, and we think you'll find this fascinating too. Now, just a quick note, there's a little bit of static in the audio that we've cleaned up as best that we can, and we do hope that it doesn't distract you from this great conversation that I had with Matt. Welcome, Matt, to the podcast. It's great to have you here. Well, thanks for inviting me. I love what you're doing with Requeered Books. When I first heard about it, it it just made my heart happy that some of the 
books that I read, like when I first came out back in the middle 90s, uh, that are now out of print are getting a, a new lease on life, uh, especially the Grant Michael stuff. That's really what pulled me in because I read many of those mysteries and was sad to find that they had gone out of print after all this time. Let's start with the requeered origin story. How, how did this start? Well, um, a group of friends and I were discussing um, the Benjamin Justice series uh, by uh, John Morgan Wilson. And his books have been out of so, uh, print for so long, and it was so depressing that we weren't able to get a hold of them. And we were just kind of making jokes like, oh, not only should we be running this um, Facebook group, you know, the uh, gay mystery uh, Facebook group, but we should also start up our own publishing company. You know, it's just kind of in jest. And um, we heard from my business partner, Alexander, and he said, well, actually, I've already converted all of his books into digital for myself and it would be really easy for me just to get them into print and so we were talking and he had mentioned that he actually also had tons of books that he had turned from physical copies into digital for himself and so we thought well if they're already digitalized this would be pretty easy to start up a business so we approached Justine uh, to be our lawyer to write the contracts and everything like that and she jumped on board immediately so that's really how it started was just a joke and then found out that we actually all have um, skills that benefited each other and would support the business. That's incredible that it just – you make it sound so simple. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and yet I imagine that it really is not. No. No. Uh, you know, I mean, this started over a year ago. Uh, just, you know, it took Justine about six months to write up all the business paperwork and get the bank accounts going and, uh, get us legal in the state of California to, to run this publishing company and then to start getting authors and things like that. So it did take some time and, you know, it started off as a joke and then became a lot more serious. How did Alexander end up and transition so many books? Was it just to, for it to make him easier to read them on like a Kindle or a tablet or whatever? Yeah, exactly. It was just for him to be able to read on his on his app because he travels down to Mexico uh, six months out of the year. So and he lives in Toronto. So instead of taking all of his books with him, you know, it's just an easier way of being able to read, you know, use his e-reader. And what inspired you to get involved and, and decide to start a business all of a sudden? <laughs> well, you know, the idea of it was just so cool of being able to start up a publishing company that only republished out of print books. You know, I love gay mysteries and thought it would be a really rewarding uh, adventure. And it really is so far. Um, you know, my role is to reach out to these authors and to the estates and ask them if they'd be interested in us republishing their books. And to be able to communicate with authors like Lev Raphael or Felice Picano. I mean, it's just been amazing. I mean, Jack Dixon from uh, the Jazz Anderson books, you know, it's just been incredible reaching out. You know, when I reached out to uh, the brother of J.B. Laws, Gary, uh, Gary Laws, you know, I just sent him an email, you know, with uh, J.B. Laws in the uh, subject header. And he emailed me back and he goes, oh, my goodness, I have never expected to see my brother's name <laughs> in print again and this is just an amazing thing that you guys are doing and so for me you know it's just been so rewarding and you know the best part of this is knowing that not only are we bringing the books back for nostalgic reasons 
but we're also bringing them back for new audiences. Mm-hmm. None of these books, or at least most of the books that we're republishing, have never been an ebook version either. So right. for millions of people who read only on ebooks now, we're able to reach out to them as well. And this, so it's, I think it's great that we're going to the old fans and we're bringing in new ones too. You know, a lot of people equate, you know, DVDs going from out of print to coming back in print with their new fancy Blu-ray editions and everything. And that's essentially what you're doing for these books. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, each book that we come out with, we make sure that we get forward. We have uh, another uh, another author or a family member or a publisher, someone who knew the books then or know the books now, you know, and have some history with them. And, And they will write an introduction or a foreword. You know, introducing the book or the history of the the author the of gay men, we were really privileged that Hale Bodner, um, who wrote the books on Bike Club and The Trouble with Harry, he actually wrote like a little short story at the beginning, you know, of his introduction. And so it's just kind of, you know, and then he went into the importance of Steam um, by J.B. Laws. So it's just kind of neat to get the history of the of the of uh, the books, the authors. And kind of give the history of the gay community, you know, from the 70s, 80s, 90s, and even early 2000s, you know, that I feel like are being so overshadowed and forgotten. How do you decide, A, what would make a good forward or intro, and then actually finding the people who can bring that together? Our hardest uh, person uh, to get get a forward or an introduction for was um, J.B. Laws. He wrote two books, one in 89 and the other one came out in 91. He died in 1990 of AIDS. And so we were having a hard time finding someone who had read his books or knew him or knew of him. And it was just getting really difficult. So I emailed, uh, I think, 30 authors (laughs) in one evening. I just got all their emails and just sent out bulk emails to all these authors just asking, have you ever heard of him? Have you ever heard of these books? And we knew how Bodner had, so that was my first email. Um, and he was like, well, the last people to get back to me, but almost everybody else had said I'd never heard of him or the books, you know. And so Al Bodner emailed me back and said, hey, you know, I've read his books. I loved them. They were incredible. And so he wrote one. And then the most amazing thing, I, I don't know, I'm sure you know of um, Allison Publications mm-hmm. that were very popular back in um, the 80s and 90s and uh even a little early into the 2000s. But so no one has heard from Sasha Allison in years. You know, he sold his business and then he moved. And I said, man, it'd be awesome if we could get him to write an introduction. But no one's heard from him or seen him. And I was talking to uh, Richard Stevenson, who wrote the um, Donald Strachey mysteries. And I said, yeah, I said, you know, it's just too bad. You know, I can't find anyone that knows a hit, knows uh, J.B. Laws. And Steven said, said, well, I was in um, Bangkok, where he lives uh, half of uh, the year, and he said, and I ran into Sasha. Uh, and I said, I don't know who Sasha is. Who, you know, who's, who's Sasha? And he goes, Sasha Ellison. And, you know, here's his email address. So you can, you know, see if he'd be willing to write you an introduction. So, so, that, so I wrote out to him, never thinking I'd hear anything from him. And he actually wrote me back wrote me a really awesome introduction. Uh, and so we're going to put that in for JB Laws's next book for unfinished, but it's just amazing how much support we're getting from the gay community and the gay, uh, gay authors that they all want to see these books back in print, you know, cause they all grew up on these books or they remember reading these books. And so 
like Neil Plaxey, who writes the Mahu series and the Have Body Will Guard books. And he jumped, you know, jumped on it, you know, and he wrote a really nice introduction for us for um, A Body to Die For, uh, which was the first book of the Grant Michaels books. But no, and then the families have just been so supportive. Gary Laws wrote this really touching um, introduction uh, to Steam. Uh, we have another brother writing one for um, one of our other books. And then we had, and then just a good friend of Jack Dixon is writing one for Freeform. So it's just amazing the support that we're getting from the community and from the families and friends. Mm-hmm. And as you mentioned, it, it's great to hear that the families can be excited that they're. <laughs> that the work is coming back after, you know, what could be several decades. You know, we're kind of hesitant sometimes because we don't know how the families are with, you know, the gay brothers or the, you know, and so it's like, we don't know if we're going to, you know, email these families and then they come back and say, oh, you know, I'm glad that they're out of print or, you know, receive some sort of homophobic reaction. But so far, everything we've gotten is just wonderful and supportive. Tell us about the four books that are already in market. Well, our first book that we came out with was Steam, uh, which is a horror book by J.B. Laws. Um, he actually won an award. He actually won a competition in 1989 uh, that was ran by uh, Allison Publications and uh, City Lights Books bookstore in San Francisco. Whoever was the best new author uh, t- book would be published by uh, Allison Publications. And so he won that. And it's funny because when I talked to Sasha through email, he said, you know, I was so nervous because his book was the best, but some publications had never published a horror book before. And so it's kind of getting a little out of their, uh, their comfort zone. And, but he said he read it and he just could not, not publish it. That was just an incredible book. And, you know, at the time he was referred to as the gay Stephen King. It was just, uh, it's just an amazing horror book. The second book that we published was Let's Get Criminal by Lev Raphael, who is a uh, who lives in Michigan. Uh, I've met him a few times, um, and it's a uh, academic, cozy mystery. It's the Nick Hoffman book series. It's the first book in the series. Uh, it's nine books now. The latest one just came out this this year, so he had his first book and his last book come out in the same year. <laughs> but uh, so that was the first book, and it was really nice because he wrote the introduction to his book. He kind of wrote about like how he got into writing mysteries and where the character Nick Hoffman came from. And it's really kind of interesting to hear about that. Our third book is The uh, Body to Die For uh, by Grant Michaels. It's the first book of six books uh, about Stan Vanos Krejcik. Um, it's a hairstylist that solves mysteries. And I know nowadays that there's just tons of uh, hairstylists that solve mysteries. <laughs> but in the day, it was very groundbreaking. You know, mm-hmm. it, you know, most of the characters up to this point, you know, were private investigators, lawyers, you know, tough men, you know, written in the style of Ross McDonald or, you know, the, it was very noir. And here's a gay character who works in a stereotypical gay profession and could prove that he's just as strong and, you know, self-supporting as one of these noir tough guys and it was and it's an incredible series mm-hmm. um you know and um neil Plaxy, who wrote the introduction kind of points out you know that not only was he self-supporting but he actively worked with the police and at the time you know police and the gay community were not always were you know willing to work hand in hand and you know and so it was just and so neil Plaxy's introduction was really kind of nice about talking about the history of 
uh, gay men and the police and their uh, conflicts. The fourth book that we have coming out at the uh, that came out at the end of June was uh, Freeform by Jack Dixon. Uh, it's the first book in the Jazz Anderson trilogy. They're incredibly gritty. Uh, they take place in Glasgow, Scotland. Jack Dixon is uh, who lives in Glasgow. Uh, but Anderson uh, is a closeted police officer. Uh, he's suspended for beating a rapist up. And then when he arrives home, he finds that his lover has been murdered uh, and he's framed for it. So he has to go through all the motions of trying to find the true killer and let himself be innocent so he can return to the police force. And as I said, it is Glasgow. So by the time you're all the um, is really interesting because all of the dialogue is written in authentic Scott. So you will be speaking like Sean Connery by the time you're done with the book because it's it's really hard to understand at first is to get into it. But once you do, like, it all just makes sense. It just flows really nicely. But, yeah, by the time you're done, you'll be talking like Sean Connery. That's a nice side effect. I wouldn't mind yeah. having a Scottish accent. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> For these books like uh, the Grant Michael series and, and these others, are there plans there to bring all the books in the series back? Yes. For Grant Michael's books, we have all six books. Uh, they're going to be released in roughly like either a two, two months or three month durations. So that way we can, you know, make sure that we uh, edit them, get the introductions put in place and that kind of thing. So it'll be about two to three months between each book. So, yep. So those will be all out. And then the Jazz Anderson books we're going to we're looking at bringing all three back probably uh, with, you know, again, two to three months. All of uh, Lev Raphael's books are all in print, except for the first one that we just brought back in print. We're hoping that what will end up happening is that as his current publishers begin to drop his book, that we'll just start picking those up as well. But yeah, our plans are to, if we pick up any series, that we get the entire series. Or at least whichever ones are out of print. When you're editing, are you just essentially doing a copy edit? Since in some cases you can't work with the author anymore. The only thing we do for editing is we just fix any um, grammar issues, spelling issues. The one thing that we did for um, Jack Dixon is he misspelled a character's name in the books, um, but he went through the entire book and misspelled her name the entire way through. So we went through and changed her name to what he wanted it to be. But other than that, we don't change any of the storylines. We don't change. I mean, there's some things that might seem inappropriate now or unsuitable or no longer pc but we want to keep the books as pure as when they first came out mm -hmm. so the only thing we do is grammar and spelling checks that's great because they are time capsules yes how do you decide what to go after because it sounds like i mean between alexander's scanning project that he was doing and the vast number of books that are out there, how do you make the choices and, and hone your list down to manageable for the business? So we try and focus on genre fiction. So mysteries, mysteries are a big one because uh, we're all fans of game mysteries and everything like that. So we try to keep it as close to genre fiction as possible. The one thing that we are always going after are, we, I mean, we'll go after anything that's out of print. We want a more rounded LGBTQ backlist. And the one problem that we're having is getting uh, lesbian, bisexual, and trans authors and their and books that are out of print from them because we want more books that are all encompassing. 
rather than just game mystery. You know, we want as many as we can. But really, we'll take anything. We tr- Like I said, we try to keep to um, genre fiction, but, you know, like when Felice Picano approached us, you know, most of his books, you know, we weren't able to get the lure, you know, which is his most famous book. You know, most of his books are more literary fiction. And we've been trying to avoid getting into literary fiction, you know, as most of those are still in print and still being read. But it's like, how can you tell Felice Picano, oh, we're not interested in your books, right. you know? So, you know, we just let people know that, hey, you know, we're looking at, we have about a two-year calendar now that's almost full. We're releasing two books per month, usually on the 15th and then the last day of the month. And we already have, we have 24 books right now, you know, it's midway through the year. So we're about a, almost a year out that we have a full calendar, but, you know, we leave gaps here and there to try and get more authors so we can kind of fit them in where we need to. But really, we would love any type of uh, suggestion or if anyone knows of authors uh, to let us know that we should be looking at them or not. And if they know how to contact people, that's most important. Right. That's the you, hardest thing for us. You've got to get down to the to the rights holder somewhere yeah. down the line. How much of a challenge is that? Because I've heard... On, on the various writing podcasts that I listen to, there's always those episodes that talk about make sure your estate is in order so that if you do pass away, that somebody ends up with your rights and knows how to use them. We had, so Grant Michaels, um, his real name's uh, Michael Mesrobian. Um, we had, I think, the hardest time getting hold of his rights holders. So in his, in his obituary, he had listed his, uh, it said, you know, his mother, you know, people who, left, who were left behind his mother and brother and whatever. Um, so, um, Justine was able to get a copy of his will and found that his mother was his heir. And so we, but we didn't have her address. We only had the lawyer's address. So I wrote up a letter, wrote it, you know, sent it to her lawyer. And then, you know, at saying, Hey, we, you know, we know you're the, the uh, one that did the estate and, you know, we're looking at publishing his books. And so she passed it. Uh, so I got an email from Michael Mesrovian's brother, who's uh, Carl, and he, uh, Carl wrote back and said, oh, you know, my mother passed away, so now I'm, the, you know, so now I hold all the rights, you know, I was the heir of the estate, so, you know, yeah, you know, let's do this. And so part of our contract states, you know, you have to guarantee that you actually have all the rights. Mm-hmm. So he went to, you know, his lawyer and got a copy of the will and saw, oh, I'm not actually the estate the heir of the rights of the books. Um, it's actually a friend of his. And so we contacted his friend, Rob and Rob said, well, yeah, I got all, I got all his papers and all of his books and all this kind of stuff, but I don't think I actually have the rights anymore because I gave, I donated everything to this library. And so we contacted the library and we said, Hey, we were told that you have all the rights and, and they're like, Oh, we have all of his papers, but we don't have the rights that belongs to Rob. And so we went back to Rob and he said, well, I want, you know, like a a certified letter from the library saying that I have the rights because I don't want to get sued. And so we went back to Rob and said, here, here's the letter that says that, you know, you have all the rights. And so so it was a process. And sometimes it can be very complicated to find the estates. A lot of times we're looking at obituaries. We're, you know, trying to find those. We look up like literary articles about them. Trying to find the estates or the heirs are probably our hardest uh, challenge. 
And then so, a lot of these authors, like living authors, a lot of them don't have social media or websites or any other way of contacting them. So it's usually trying to find someone that knows them and maybe knows that person who knows that person. And then we try and get a chain going to try and get to that person. So essentially you're private investigators yourselves. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> going on a treasure hunt to find the right people. What have you heard from readers in term, in the response on as these books have been coming out? We have been hearing a lot from readers that they're just so excited that we're doing this. You know, like the first Grant Michaels book, A Body to Die For, if you want to buy that on Amazon, it's like a $30 book in hardcover. You know, a lot of these books have been so out of print for so long that you just can't find them cheaply enough to, you know, or... And like I said, they're older, they're mainly in hardcovers or paperbacks or whatever, but, you know, a lot of authors or a lot of readers don't read physical books anymore. And so a lot of the great authors and titles are just getting not noticed by mm -hmm. readers. And so we've been having a ton of uh, really positive reader feedback. And it's funny because a lot of re uh, readers, you know, who – already own the books or have already read the books are like, I'm so tempted just to rebuy the book because, you know, I already have a first edition on my shelf, but now I really want another copy because I like your covers. You know, I mean, Dawn, Dawn Dominique, who does all of our covers, is just amazing. And she really gets the nuances of what we're looking for and what the tut and what the book is about. And so we're really able to just you know, a lot of uh, readers are just very thrilled about this. And we're just thrilled to be able to connect with so many people that are so excited about this. And so it just keeps us going. Do you think you'll expand to audio since audio is such a thing right now? Uh, audiobooks are huge right now. Um, we would love to. It's just kind of getting to that point where we're financially able to. You know, we've got four books out, you know, and some of them are doing a lot, lot better than others. And so we're just kind of at that point where, we kind of want to wait six months, maybe a year before we start getting into audio. Although we would love to get into it eventually because I would just love to hear um, Stan Krejcik's voice, you know, being on audio or even Joss Anderson. I mean, hearing the Scottish instead of just, you know, reading it and maybe kind of figuring out what it actually sounds like. Um, but a lot of these books would just be amazing in audio. And we, we would like to get to that eventually. And we do have uh, the the rights to be able to do so. So we would like to do that eventually. What can you tell us about what's coming up in the release queue as we get into the back half of uh, 2019? Um, so what's coming up, uh, we have um, the Montreal-based Sunday's Child by Edward O. Phillips. Um, he has, I think it's five or six books in that series. And then we have Onyx by Felice Bacano coming out. And then we're hopefully getting Black Marble Pool by, St by Stan Leventhal out soon. And then once those three books come out, uh, we'll be roping back around to the Grant Michaels and the Jack Dixon series. So those are the next five or six books that we've got coming out in the next uh, few months. That's exciting. What's in your personal wish list? Like something you read back in the day that you would love to see, you know, get this transformation and, and come back out? So we have been struggling with Joseph Hansen. Um, you know, the, the godfather of gay mysteries. And we have been, you know, only two of his books have been in, in print in the last uh, 10, 15 years. They were uh, owned by the University of Wisconsin, who 
barely did anything with them. You know, they came out with the first two books. The covers were eh. And so it was just kind of like really disappointing that, you know, his books that so many gay authors and gay mystery authors were building upon have been out of print. And so I contacted the University of Wisconsin and I said, hey, you know, I know you have these two books, but we're wondering if you have the rights to the last uh, group of books because we'd like to maybe start republishing them. And it turns out they had actually given up their rights a week before to Joseph Hansen. And so they gave us uh, the agent who is running the estate for the daughter of, I think it's the daughter. Sorry, Joseph Hansen's, uh, Joseph Hansen was a gay man who was married to a lesbian. And they had a transgender son or daughter. And I can't, I really apologize. I can't remember which, I think it's a daughter now. Their daughter, you know, doesn't really do anything much with these. And so they do the, um, so they go through the agent. And it turns out Soho Crime has already picked up all the Joseph Hansen, Dave Brandstetter series, which we're thrilled about because that means that they'll actually be published and they'll all be out next year. But the ones that I really want are, you know, his lesser known works, Pretty Boy Dead. He had a, he had a couple gothic mysteries. There was Todd, um, but he had all of these great, like lesser known um, books. And even I was talking to Michael Nava about this, you know, and he said, you know, I would love to see his, semi-autobiographical books put out and i'm like me too <laughs> and so we contacted the agent and i said you know here's a list of like 20 more books that aren't picked up by soho you know would we be able to publish those and they said well we want to see what soho wants to do you know because if the if the brandstetter series goes well then they're they might want to pick up all the other books and so we're just kind of waiting on what soho will do so if Soho doesn't want these, we're going to jump on them and try and get these published as much as we can. Those are the books that all three of us would love to see republished um, just because of their importance to gay history, to the importance of gay uh, mysteries, and just the importance of gay literature. That's just incredible. How can readers and authors perhaps get in touch, not only obviously to find what you're publishing, but also to perhaps suggest books or help even connect some dots for you? Email us at info at requeertales.com. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching requeertales. Um, our Twitter handle is at queerdre, um, and you can search for that. Um, you can also, if you're looking at buying our books, you can go on Amazon by searching requeertales, and it'll bring up all of our titles. Very cool. We'll link up to all that stuff in the show notes so that people can easily click on uh, any of that to find you guys. So awesome you're doing this again, and thank you for hanging out with us and telling us all about this project. Well, thanks for letting us come and share this. This week's interview transcript is brought to you by our community on Patreon. If you'd like to read the interview for yourself, simply head on over to the show notes page for this episode at BigGayFictionPodcast.com. Thanks again to Matt for talking to us about the books Requeered Tales is releasing. Not only are the books he mentioned from the end of 2019 out and in the show notes page, but some coming soon books include Nikki Baker, which is releasing in just a couple weeks, more from Felice Picano, and a book from Jed A. Bryan. Matt also has a book coming in February. It'll be Requeered's first original publication, and it's called Murder and Mayhem, an annotated bibliography of gay and queer males in mystery, 1909 to 2018. And that is bound to be a great companion to the books Requeered is bringing back. Yes, most definitely. Okay, guys, I think that's going to do it for this week's show. Coming up next week, we have K.D. Edwards, and he'll be here to talk about his Tarot Sequence series. 
Now, listeners may recall that The Hanged Man, which is the latest book in that series, was one of Lisa's top books of 2019. I had a great time discussing it with him, and his fans are going to be interested to know that he shared information in this interview that he's never talked about anywhere else, so you're going to want to catch that for sure. Ooh, an exclusive. You're so fancy. (laughs) I try. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, guys, remember, no matter where life takes you, the journey will always be sweeter when you have a book. Until next time, everyone, please keep turning those pages and keep reading. Big Gay Fiction Podcast is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. You can find more shows you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts. New episodes of this show are available every Monday wherever you get your podcasts. You can help support this show with a monthly pledge through Patreon. For more information about joining our community and the bonus content we deliver, check out patreon.com slash biggayfictionpodcast. I'm Kurt Graves. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.